1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Now, as we alluded to last time, property cycles are a little bit like clockwork, according to some at least. And here today we invite Akil Patel, from Ascendant Strategy, our subject matter expert, to share with us his own research and indeed that of others before him, that makes a very compelling argument for a clear and definite pattern in the property market. Now, not only this, but we sow the seeds of what the heck to do about it (laughs) once we know about all this. So let's just have a listen to uh, Akhil as he joins me in Property Chatter then.
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: Well, I'm very pleased to have a very special guest, a subject matter expert, with me on the uh, on the call today, and that's Akhil Patel from Ascendant Strategy. And um, This series is all about uh, life cycles in general, and I know that Akhil has a particular interest in the property cycle, generally. But, uh, Akhil, hi, how are you? How are you doing?
2: I'm very well, thanks, Richard. Good to be on this call.
1: Thanks very much for joining us. I really appreciate that. Um, Akhil, perhaps uh, perhaps you could kick us off by just giving us a little bit of a a context, a background as to who you are and and what you're interested in in property cycles is in particular. That would be really useful to set the scene if you don't mind.
2: Sure. Um, Well I'm the director and founder of Ascendant Strategy which is a advisory company which um, does research on economic and commodity and stock market cycles Um, and it provides the benefit of that expertise to investors, be they corporate or individual investors, to make better long-term investment decisions and the most important cycle that we focus on is what some people refer to as the 18-year property cycle Uh, and we very much uh, specialize in helping uh, investors uh, use knowledge of the cycle to make better investment decisions with respect to property.
1: Fantastic. So sounds like I've got the right man in the chair to answer some of these questions. So <laughs> that's a good start, isn't it? Yeah, good start. So let, let's get straight into it. I've um, I've downloaded your research paper on the 18-year property cycle. Forgive me if that's not the right uh, title. Um, read read that with great interest. But um, it talks a lot about property cycles, business cycles. Of course, you've got the stock market cycle, and and I guess you could even add in a little bit of there the financial cycle in general. And, I guess, you know, my question is, where, where do they all begin and which one starts them off?
2: It's uh, a good question. In my view, it all comes down to the property cycle. Um, and the reason is that um, land, which is really the driver of the property cycle and speculation in land, is in some ways quite fundamental to our economies. And it's certainly very important to our banking system. Uh, and when you get uh, very uh, so very um, high periods of speculation in, in land and real estate, um, it sort of generates quite a lot of economic activity uh, and then sort of draws in the banking system. And when that collapses, as we saw happen um, in the UK and the US in 2007, 2008, uh, it leads to a general collapse in the economy because banks stop lending to businesses, businesses start to fold, unemployment increases um, and the government has to intervene in the economy in a major way um, and so fundamentally in our view um, it, it starts with property cycle.
1: So it starts with the property cycle um, and, and of course you, you talk about the 18 year cycle don't you and um, I, I kind of just want to get a bit of a handle as to how predictable the 18 year element of it is from based on your research?
2: Yeah, Um, well an eighteen year, reference to eighteen year is kind of um, shorthand but actually if you look at the historical data in the US and the UK and this has been done by um, authors like Fred Harrison for the UK and and my business partner Phil Anderson for the US, um, if you go back to look at the historical record back to the Early um, 19th century, actually the regularity of it, 18-year cycle is, is incredible. Um, it really is, on average and, and almost very precisely, 18 years from from boom to bust and bust to boom. Um, and uh, while I'd never say that it, you, would, you could set your kind of watch by it. Um, the the regularity in the historical record is actually quite amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean as I say I saw that. So thanks for sharing. I I think two kind of follow on questions really is, you know, it's really what what tends to happen and I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but what tends to happen typically in, in a in a cycle? Uh what are the activities if you like and the triggers? But equally um, if it's so predictable, um, why is so little understood about it in particular with regard to real estate property
2: uh, well to take the first question, I mean you generally find within an eighteen year cyclical period um, kind of almost four phases when when the cycle starts, you tend to get economies returning to growth and the property market starts growing again, and people are interested in investing and and uh, builders start building again um, and you kind of have a, a period of about seven years of expansion um, you then tend to find after about seven years that you get a, a sort of a mid-cycle blip or slowdown or in some cases recession um, which tend to be fairly short uh, and, and economies tend to move past them relatively quickly. You then get a, another seven year on average expansion which is um, characterized by much higher growth rates and much more kind of optimism about the future, because the end of the last cycle is further further into the past, um, and that's where things tend to go way over the top, uh, and they and they crescendo into a peak, and then you get a major kind of crash, both in the stock market, in the property market. Uh, you get much higher periods of unemployment and much deeper recession um uh, in many cases quite significant spending cuts which has an impact on the economy and um, banks need to be bailed out and that process of bust and recovery tends to take on average about four years you have a sort of uh, a seven year expansion in mid-cycle slowdown, another seven year expansion lasting on average about 14 years in total and then a, a period of bust and recovery which lasts about 4 years to complete the um, and your second question was, was about why is it not more generally known and, and the short answer to that is that um, most uh, economic analysis tends not to regard land as a distinct factor of production and so a lot of economic models are based upon ignoring land, and if you ignore land, then you, know, you don't have the analytical tools to see uh, a cycle like this. And indeed, some economists say that economic events aren't typical of the region. So, so without that particular lens, you're not going to you're not going to see it, and therefore, if you're not seeing it, you're not going to make recommendations towards investing about the cycle. I think that has very much influenced the mainstream way in which we think about investment. So I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't know about them. But you know, many property investors who've been around for, for a decade decades have seen, you know, one if not two if not three um, cycles unfold and play out. The trick is to recognise them for what they are, which is um, a new additions of a very, very old story.
1: Yeah, and I guess you know I was thinking after reading, um, I kind of reflected a little bit about some of the uh, some of the other drivers or agents. Let's say we've got the banks and we've got government as two you know prime agents in in the overall economy. And you know, I guess my my own question to myself was, isn't it really all the banks' fault for creating money out of nothing? And, and I guess to a similar extent, governments have done, especially recently with quantitative easing and those sorts of uh, money creation, money printing. Uh, Approaches is, is it really you know their fault? You know, I, I am challenging, I suppose, the the principle behind what you're saying where it starts. But what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, well, this is quite an important issue. Um, banks clearly have a role to play in in uh, increasing the amount of money that within an economy, uh, and therefore they enable people to speculate, and when when speculation Gets out of control, you, you very much amplify the boom and, and therefore create a much bigger bust as a result. But the cycle kind of fundamentally attracts uh, that kind of activity, and in my in my view is is prior to the, uh, the banks' uh, activity. And just just to answer the point about um, money creation, it's actually the legitimate. Role of the banks to create money. When they make a loan, they create a corresponding deposit uh, in in, in an account, which is then spent into the economy. That's exactly what banks are designed to do. Um, And so, when people borrow, money is created, and when they repay the loan, that money disappears again, and it kind of goes over and on and on throughout uh, the economy. It's it's actually a very beautiful process, um, and it enables huge amounts of economic activity to take place that wouldn't take place otherwise the problem is is that when it goes to activities which don't generate increased production then you tend to get an inflationary environment Uh, and of course if it's not about increased production then it's just about increasing asset prices which means there's no kind of additional economic activity to back that up and so if that then folds over when you get a bust then all that sort of money disappears from the economy and, and businesses are and starved of credit and, uh, and you get a general kind of malaise because they have to start laying people off which reduces demand within the economy which creates a recession and so on, all the, the various things that we've lived through over the last few years. Um, when, when the um, Bank of England created quantitative easing, they were to a certain extent trying to replace the money that had been lost to the economy by banks stopping their lending activities and the other thing they were trying to do was to to ensure that asset prices wouldn't f- fall any further because if they they had failed to do that then banks would have been in a much more serious position than they were in uh, at the time and so it it was a it's it's not it's not adding any kind of particular additional money into the economy it's actually replacing money that's been lost It's it's quite a complicated sort of argument that I've made and I appreciate that some uh, listeners might find it difficult to follow but essentially banks are supposed to create money in an economy, that's their function.
1: Yep, I get you. Uh, Just one sort of follow-on question to the whole uh, issue with banks, I I, I kind of just more from a personal interest point of view when I read your your work. um, One of the stages of course is uh, post-crash and then the recovery. Is uh, is how the banks recover, um, ready for the next cycle. And I just wondered how how that happened, you know, because obviously they're going to carry a lot of debt uh, on their books. Um, but how do they actually recover? What what things happen, or they just literally write it off and then recapitalize and go again? Is that, is that the long and short of it?
2: Uh, no, they can't they can't um, simply write it off like a like a normal business. What tends to happen is the government. Through its interventions, um, stops asset prices falling, and they sort of do nothing for a while, and then they start to rise slowly. And once they start to rise, it's at that point the banks can start offloading the bad debts that they had created. And you if you if you watch the news quite carefully, every so often you'll see a story about how Deutsche Bank or or um, Barclays or HSBC have sold off another part of their loan portfolio and they generally selling it at par which means that you know prices have moved back to levels that were seen at the end of the last cycle and it's and banks are not losing any money um, on 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 those portfolios in addition to that um, they you the they tend to um, uh, focus their lending activities on very safe um, uh, uh, activity so they tend to lend very much to governments and very high end borrowers and that enables them to recapitalize um and once that that process is completed then they then that's the conditions at which um they start lending to the rest of the economy and that's when proper growth returns to the economy so what we've seen over the last very slow growth well that's partly because let banks are not lending to to normal businesses they've been recapitalizing and trying to offload all of the assets that they um, that they created i.e. by lending money to to companies and to to property investors and so on in the last cycle they've been offloading all of that activity um, and getting themselves set up for the next cycle
1: great all right thank you um I, I have to ask you I mean there's the link between the property cycle and the stock market cycle which is quite evident in your um, analysis uh, that I looked at but one that sort of sticks out a bit actually give a little bit of comment on that is the dot-com uh, crash um, it wasn't necessarily linked to a property crash directly anyway um, but what are your thoughts on that was that a, an exception or?
2: Um, yes and no. Um, stock markets have their own cycles and, and periodically you get um, periods of Great speculation and people very interested in stocks. And in the case of the dot-com, you know, they were people were really they didn't really understand the internet and e-commerce and so on. And they got carried away with all the hype. And companies that didn't have any earnings to back up a high share price was still attracting a lot of buying of their shares. So so everyone got carried away and and um, and then it obviously came came down to earth in a very major way in 2000 with a dot-com bust now that wasn't as you point out related to property cycle per se but it's the timing is quite interesting um, because it did coincide quite closely with the mid-cycle slowdown that I referred to earlier as one of the phases of the 18-year cycle and you tend to find that around that time in the cycle the stock market is quite weak um, uh, in, in any in probably in fairness in the US this dot-com the dot-com um, bust slightly preceded the recession but the recession almost um resulted out of the loss of confidence and then you had September the 11th and uh, you know you had various uh, corporate scandals going on and so people probably left the stock market around the same time that the property market was showing a bit of a slowdown so the timing does tie in but it's not directly correlated with with the um, the property cycle um the thing to really watch out for and as a stock market investor is the the final stages of the cycle where things firstly go over the top and, and that often results in a major boom in the stock market which we got in between sort of 2003 and 2007 and then almost without fail at the end of the property cycle the stock market will correct by about 35 to 50 percent so it loses 35 to 50 percent of its value um uh, at and after the peak of the property cycle so it really is something very important to to watch out for for a whole range of investors
1: yep i can understand that trying to avoid those uh falling off the cliff events um kind of moving into the property cycle and geography a little bit um kind of- what I wanted to, to sort of pick your brains on there was, um, was talking about the property cycle from a geographic point of view globally. In other words, um, do we have the same property cycles the world over? Um, and that's part of one of the question. And I'll probably come and talk to you about within a certain market. So let's say regional markets within the UK. But let's, let's stick with the global uh, property cycle for now. What uh, do, do we have the same cycle the world over? And does it unfold at the same pace everywhere?
2: Um, that's a really good question. Um, the jury is still out to a certain extent and the reason is that in other economies, particularly emerging markets, we really don't have the uh, historical evidence to back up uh, our assessment of how the property cycle works. Um, for advanced countries, um, they, we all tend to be on the same cycle uh, and we tend to be we tend to follow the same timing as the US the US is maybe six months ahead of the UK and the UK is maybe six months ahead of other countries such as Australia and and um, and parts of Europe but in broadly speaking it's all the same kind of timing and it's generally speaking uh, very much the 18-year cycle uh, historically and um, its it's starting to appear To be the case that you do, you are getting an 18-year cycle in emerging markets, but they're not timed to the same way. Now, the East Asian crisis in '97—it was a financial crisis, or it's known as a financial crisis—but actually, it was preceded very much by a period of intense property speculation, which resulted in a major bust, which, as I've said, affects all the other parts of the economy, including the banking system, uh, and created a full-blown financial crisis, which affected all of those tiger economies um, in East Asia. That was in 97. You're starting to see the same kind of weaknesses in those economies 18 years after that. And the last few years were periods of um, fairly high property price growth as well. So it does appear to be the case that they do have a property cycle uh, and it does um, time in at 18 years, but not on the same kind of wavelength as as um as the cycles that affect western economies um having said that um we're only talking about two cycles uh, you would want to have a longer historical record before you would um, be definitive about it as you are with as I am with uh, the UK and the US uh, but it does seem to be working that way
1: okay great and i i think
2: just looking
1: um like intra market if you like for a moment we this this has got a prime. This is a podcast. got primarily UK-based audience. So let's take the UK as an example. Um, do you, do you see differences in regional markets across the UK? Uh, I, you know, is it the same cycle, or and does it unfold at a different pace if uh, if it is the same cycle across the uh, the regions?
2: Um, I'd say it's the same cycle, but the cycle doesn't is not uniform. In the sense that, when you in the first half of the cycle, you tend to see the first signs of activity in the centre of a city or the centre of a country, um, and then over time it spreads out to the more peripheral locations, both at the edge of the city or, I guess, if you're looking at, at, at a country from the main cities out into the smaller cities and to to kind of more uh, marginal locations, and um, so. While London has really kicked off this cycle in a very major way, um, you wouldn't expect, uh, as far as I'm concerned, to see the same start in in other parts of the UK. They would tend to follow London as, um, you know, once London is um, kind of underway, then investors are looking to other parts of the city and then other parts of the country to to make their investments and you start then to see increased demand leads to increased uh, prices, etc. So it's the same cycle but it, it kind of plays out uh, to a different sort of timetable within um, uh, within uh, uh, sort of the various phases of the cycle.
1: Yeah, um, now you and I have been speaking haven't we over a period of time now and uh, I think one of the topics we've been sort of uh, mulling over or kicking around between us is this idea that uh, perhaps there are different, I'm coming at it from the point of view, there might be different Strategies that might be more applicable at different phases in a in a property cycle. Um, Do you want to give a bit of an insight into maybe what what um, some of our readers and listeners might expect coming forward, maybe from a collaboration point of view?
2: Yeah, well, um, given that the cycle plays out in a, as far as I'm concerned, a fairly regular fashion, you can then start to see certain things happening at similar times within the cycle. For example. Uh, towards the end of the cycle, you you, you in, invariably get a period of rising interest rates. At the beginning of the cycle, interest rates are held very low for a, you know quite some time. Um, at the beginning of the cycle, it's very hard to get um, bank credits and bank financing. At the end of the cycle, it tends to be very easy and so on. Um, I think that those different sort of features um, make different property strategies, um, uh, more kind of easy, more easy to um, execute uh, at different times and so uh, our I guess our discussions have tried to kind of uncover when the optimum time is to apply a particular property strategy based upon the sorts of things that happen at each phase of the cycle. It's very much groundbreaking um, research so it would be very good to uh, share ideas and, and provide some of that to your your uh, listeners
1: yeah I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to that and so just to put a bit of context I think what we're looking to do is collaborate and maybe put uh, put out a uh, an, uh, a blog post or something of that description to sort of flesh those uh, thoughts out so you know if you're the Property Voice uh, if you watch our blog or listen to the podcast just look out for that because uh, kill and I have been quite excited actually about uh, putting these things together the cycle and, and applied strategies over a period of time so I really appreciate you uh, agreeing to work with me on that, Sekiel, it's, uh, it's, it's fabulous.
2: Uh, yeah, no, looking forward to
1: it. Yeah, me too. Um, so I guess just to draw a little bit of a, a, a close, um, just maybe where can people find out about you and, and do you, in, in fact, have any uh, offers potentially or information you can share with uh, listeners if they make contact with you?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um- well the best way to reach me is through my website which is www.theascendantstrategy.com um the uh on on the website you'll find uh, a few resources i've written articles i've um i've uh, i've got a few blog posts and uh, links to interviews with other people and i you know i do encourage listeners to to um to read those posts and uh, listen to those interviews because I do try and provide a lot of value for free to people because you know I think this is a very important topic and I would like investors to know more about it. And um, they can also download a free ebook which is um, uh, titled seven Reasons Why Investors Need to Understand the 18-Year Cycle" and then also um, a few research reports available for purchase if people really want to get into this topic and and learn uh, a bit more about um, what the cycle is, how it works. Um, what 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 sorts of things happen within each phase and how to uh, in some ways tell the time about where we are within the cycle
1: gotcha and I guess I should just say is that <laughs> I missed anything really is anything that's uh, is on top of your mind that you think I must say this before the end of this interview or uh, am I ready to close things up and just uh, and uh, call it a day Is there anything there that I've missed in other words key questions
2: uh, well I suppose one question your listeners might have in their minds is where are we currently in the cycle?
1: Oh um, yeah that um, one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well I mean if you if we look at recent history um the peak of the last cycle in the UK was in 2007 um, according to my research and you know I think you can that was certainly the peak of the property market peak of the stock market and so on and um, the UK to my mind, spent the next four to five years um, really sort of working through the crash and the and the and the process of recovery after that, and was really in a position to start the new cycle in around 2012, 2011. Um, we're now sort of three or four years into the first phase of the next cycle, um, so I would not expect this cycle to peak for the for at least another decade. So it really is a good time to be um, looking to invest and find good deals and, and um, make long-term investment decisions which uh, will uh, yield um, good returns over the next few years.
1: Yeah, thanks for pointing out that obvious question that I admitted that was uh, very useful. And I think it's, it's encouraging to people to know that uh, potentially we're on an upswing. But as we've been alluding to, there are, there are strategies that could work at any point in the cycle, which uh, is another cue really to stay tuned because we're going to hopefully produce, uh, produce some information and uh, additional insights in that regard. But Akil, I just want to say thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on the, the Property Voice podcast and, and sharing your, your wisdom and your research with us.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, me too. And uh, look out for the the paper that we're looking to collaborate on. That should be coming out in the near future. But Akhil, once again, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Up next is Your Voice. It's all about you and your property world.
1: Now, just before I dive into your voice fully, I just wanted to you know, acknowledge the input we had there from Akhil Patel with regard to the 18-year property cycle. And as we mentioned towards the end of the interview, we're planning to collaborate together on a blog post and possibly more in terms of how to make the 18-year property cycle relevant to our property investing strategy over time. So watch this space over the coming weeks on that one. And we'll return to the theme of property cycles more generally next time on the show for a fuller elaboration. But back to your voice then. Today we're going to keep your voice, you know, short and sweet and simply share a five star review we had in from Northern Monkey, who says, greatest podcast ever. Perhaps a slight exaggeration there, but we appreciate the sentiment all the same he says uh, goes on to say uh, great format and something new for the property podcast market keep up the good work and sort out the episode title for episode 2 i think we managed to sort that out actually i, I know we had a couple of uh, issues way back but uh, i think that's all been done now so thank you very much northern monkey really appreciate that and of course the your voice segment is all about you and your opinion and whether it's a review just like that one a question a property story or just a good old moan really we're, we're here for you we're here for you so drop me a note with what's on your mind and we'll try and feature as many contributions in the show as we possibly can you can email us podcast the property you can uh, post on our facebook page which is facebook.com slash the property voice tweet at the property voice sorry tweet at property voice UK or you can indeed leave us a, a voicemail on our website. The choice, as they say, is yours. But, hear this, we really love the iTunes reviews and the voicemails, the best. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> Next up, The Shoutout.
0: And now, where
1: you can go for more great resources
0: with The shout-out.
1: Now, as I shared with you last week, I'm running a 10K on the 7th of November, and I'm doing this to raise money for a school in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. Now, one resource that I found helpful is an app called RunKeeper, and as the name suggests, it helps to train in running with distance and pace settings, and uh, it records your progress against goals and that type of thing. However, it's uh, not restricted to pure, you know, purely the activity of running. It also works with road and mountain biking, for example. Also walking and hiking, skiing and snowboarding, and even, would you believe, swimming. Although I've not actually put it to the test with swimming, but I I suspect I might need uh, you know more waterproof protection on my phone if I'm going to use it in the in the swimming pool. Um, so yeah, I'm um, interested to see how that one works. But <laughs> there we go. But the bottom line is, it's pretty nifty, really. So if you're struggling for motivation in your exercise acti- activities, rather, then give Runkeeper a go, and the uh, the link will be in the show notes, as uh, as all the links are. And quickly on the subject of running, why not check out what I'm up to on the 7th of November? And more to the point, the backstory behind this school in the Amazon I'm supporting. By checking out a blog post I've written, along with some photos to to paint a better picture of the of the story. The post the blog post is called uh, Giving in Action Supporting an Amazonian School. You'll find it over at the propertyvoice.net. And the teacher and the kids there are, are, you know, literally, truly inspirational. And so it's well worth a shout out for sure. OK, so that's all we have time for today then. Three things that I would encourage you to do this week are, one, leave us a review in iTunes. We will read out all the five-star reviews on the show. Two, check out the blog post I just mentioned about the Amazon school and their inspiring teacher over at thepropertyvoice.net. And three, don't forget to have a great week in property, will you? meanwhile you can always email me personally uh, keep saying the podcast you can email me personally podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and the show notes will be over at the website thepropertyvoice.net but right now at least all that remains for me to say once again is thank you very much for listening this week and until next time on the property voice podcast it's ciao ciao